This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. There's a company you probably haven't heard of, but is actually bankrolling some of your favorite YouTube creators to the tune of $1 billion. That company is Spotter, and its business model is pretty simple. Spotter finds YouTube creators who are getting consistent engagement, and they buy part of their catalog for a certain length of time. Spotter earns revenue on those old videos, and the creator now has a chunk of cash to grow their business. But make no mistake, this isn't a loan or a creator fund. I mean, those definitely have their time and place. But what Spotter is aiming to do is turn a creator's small business into an enterprise, which can only be done with a lot of capital. Spotter struck deals with YouTube stars like Mr. Beast, Do Perfect, Miss Darcy, and many, many more. And these deals have been worth anywhere from $10,000 to $50 million. With that kind of money, creators have been building new studios and dubbing their channels in multiple languages, really leveling up their businesses in major ways. Spotter launched in 2019, and they're already at the point where they're investing $1 billion into YouTube creators. So I figured I'd have a chat with Spotter's founder and CEO, Aaron Debevoise. Aaron and I talk about Spotter's impact on the creator economy, the possibility of Spotter expanding to TikTok, and how a company relying on predictability can handle changing algorithms of a platform. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. Hey, Aaron. How are you doing? Hey, Casey. Thanks for having me on. No, I mean, thanks for being on the podcast. I mean, Spotter was recently honored on our magazine's annual list of the most innovative companies in business, so clearly you're doing something right. I wanted to start by asking, what were you seeing or maybe not seeing in the creator economy that made the idea of Spotter come into focus? Really, it was the development by YouTube of building an, a monetization engine that allowed creators to kind of move from hobbyists to full-time creators. I, I was part of that movement in the sense that I was around, uh, you know, uh, started a company called Machinima that was focused on gamers and helping them thrive. And the problem with the kind of the older businesses on the ecosystem is they were struggling to help creators move from hobbyists to full-time and trying to help a lot of creators, but with really specialized services. And so when YouTube finally broke that kind of barrier of helping creators move from hobbyists to full time, there was this opportunity to say, well, maybe it's not services that can necessarily help creators, but more capital that would help them accelerate that growth opportunity. We were seeing it was taking a lot of years for, you know, the, the big channels like Dude Perfect or others to get to where they were in terms of scale. And we think they could have done it a lot faster. And because YouTube's video algorithms really rewarded high levels of engagement that drove kind of very predictable viewership patterns, we thought that, hey, the traditional entertainment financing model could really work for creators here and super accelerate their, their growth into becoming, you know, not just full-time, but into enterprises. And so Spotter made headlines recently with the announcement that you'd be investing $1 billion in YouTube creators. And of course, that's a very eye-grabbing sum. But what does that break down to? Like, what kind of creators are you looking to invest in? Like, when you think about the different categories, the different genres, like, who and what are you looking to invest in? 
the kind of benefit to creators of our model is that in order for us to make a good economic decision for the company, we need to invest in a lot of creators. We're not great at saying this travel channel versus that travel channel is going to last five years or not last five years. This person is going to be popular forever or not. Like That's really hard to, to determine that. But we do know that is a bunch of people actually do well and a bunch of people do well for different periods of time, right? And so when you look at all of YouTube, right, together, it is pretty predictable. It grows over time. It doesn't mean all the old videos grow, but just means in general, people maintain their um, status. And so our view was we can't just finance one channel. We have to help thousands of creators to get to the point where we feel comfortable, which means that a bunch of channels that may not have gotten as much money is if we focus just on their channel, are now going to be treated as if they're part of a pool. For us, it is a very risky business if you're looking at channel by channel. But when you commit yourself to deploying hundreds of millions of dollars, and in our case, a billion dollars, right, then you know, hey, it's going to be, it's not going to be a home run for us. The outcome will be almost like you're investing in the any kind of pool of assets or opportunities. So Spotter has made deals with creators in categories like cooking and travel, entertainment, pretty much all the ones that you would think about, right? But you don't have any deals with creators in news or politics. Why is that? Well, there's some really practical reasons why, right? Which is that, especially news, that the predictable nature of, of long-term revenue just doesn't apply in news. It's very short burst revenue and the creators are probably getting most, if not all of the value out of news content pretty quickly. I think the other one, but even more importantly for us is there's so many different opinions out there right now that are combating each other, right? There's so many really sensitive topics that are being talked about that I think that we don't want to be funding potential news organizations or politics that may just not represent us as a brand, right? I think we're much more about the creative aspect of growing your brand over time and, and delivering really unique content, but we don't want to do it if it's harming certain people in any, in any way, whether that be emotionally or, you know, with misinformation or anything like that. So you have a portfolio of content from YouTube creators that, you know, you're working to, you know, generate this revenue to make the business viable, really. So, right. but if YouTube changes its algorithms or make other tweaks to the platform that affect creators' views and engagement, which is so important to what Spotter does, what does that mean for you at Spotter? Well, it happens all the time. And so I, I've been on the platform since 2006 and seen a lot of changes happen. A lot has happened. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the hard ones are outside factors. Post-lockdown viewership, was it going to go back to 2019, right? Was it going to stay elevated? When was it going to happen? Those are really hard things to predict. And you kind of just have to realize that you have to stay in the game long enough where those things kind of wash out. If you license something that was in 2020, right, and you assumed it was going to maintain its, the level of, view, YouTube was going to maintain its level of viewership, it actually came down in 2021 pretty significantly for the, this kind of content, which is like long form, highly engaged content. But if you kept licensing in 2021 and you licensing in 2019, it all kind of evens itself out, right? Because you got a bump in 2020 from 2019. 
you know, the other thing that came on was shorts, mm -hmm. right? And YouTube shorts actually had a really big impact on long form. Hey creators, let's talk about YouTube shorts, a new way for you to watch, discover, and create short content using nothing but your phone. I'll walk you through what shorts are, how to get started with shorts, and some best practices for using them. Let's dive in. First, what are shorts? Shorts are a new video experience that let you watch and create short, catchy videos right from your phone. They're vertical videos 60 seconds or less and provide an easy, lightweight way to create. Plus, they connect you to YouTube's 2 billion users, giving them a new customized viewing experience of endless laughs, learning, music discovery, and more. So it actually reduced the viewership and at least the assets that we look at, the videos that we look at, it had a pretty significant decline in long form viewership. That being said, what's amazing is we see different performance by channel. So there was one channel, actually I mentioned it earlier, I can't necessarily say the name, but that increased its viewership by 4X and combined shorts with long form. And so it was not just 4X viewership because of shorts, but it was 4X viewership in both categories, long form and short form, and quadrupled their revenue. Hmm. We can then share those results with the creators we work with and the creators we want to work with to say, wait a second, don't move away from long form. Use shorts as a mechanism to drive long form. Here's the example. Here's how, how they did it. We can do that in an anonymized way. We don't ever have to say who the creator is. We just say, after every long form, there's two shorts and then the, another long form and two shorts, right? Um, I think it's a really difficult thing unless you're ready to be in the game for a long time. But ultimately, it's part of the, the business. I think the last thing I'll say on that is, that being said, YouTube has built such a beautiful algorithm, recommendation engine around the idea that the consumer is really driving what is popular and what's not. It's not an editorial platform. It's a lot, lot different than other platforms out there. Ultimately, that algorithm has made us comfortable that as long as consumers are showing that they're highly engaged with the content, there's no reason why other consumers shouldn't be highly engaged with the content. I think it's important for platforms like YouTube to have an algorithm that's not going to change that dramatically because that's the way to get creators to invest in the, in the platform. Yeah, that's a good point for the algorithm not to change too dramatically. But when you think about what kind of content that they are selling ads against and what they sort of favor, I mean, this reminds me of the adpocalypse of like, I think 2017 and how people were really concerned about that coming back again. You know, obviously there's like a, a huge emphasis on YouTube's part to have more brand safe content that they can sell ads against. And so, I mean, again, kind of going back to changes in policy or features of YouTube when it comes to something like the adpocalypse, I mean, is that something that you're concerned with? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I would have been a lot more concerned years ago because it wasn't clear that before the adpocalypse, right, it wasn't clear why certain content that may seem a little too edgy was still being recommended at high rates, right? So you'd go, well, this is really predictable, but maybe it's not the best quality or, or most suitable for advertisers. Right. I think today that you, you talk to most creators are aware of the things that are going to potentially hurt them. Um, and so they follow the guidelines pretty closely. The, the thing that advertisers are most worried about is falling on videos that seem to have a lot of popularity, 
but are about subject matters like COVID misinformation videos and so forth that that are hard to catch really quickly, right? Um, and so when you think of top 5% of YouTube in any given day, that's where a lot of advertisers focus on. It's what YouTube focuses on when it comes to their like premium ad sales. That can get a little difficult, right? Um, so I think they've done a really good job, YouTube, at, at addressing like brand suitability instead of just pure brand safety, right? Because some some is like, hey, you know, if you're a Carnival Cruises, you don't want to end up on the cruise ship video that's the cruise ship that's sinking, right? Like that, that I think they, that doesn't happen maybe often as it would before. I'm a lot less worried about it. So what can we, the general public, understand about YouTube through the data that you're collecting and the creators that you're working with? Because you're, you're really tapped into the back end of YouTube and understanding its algorithm, understanding, you know, its data, understanding engagement. And so... Through that, what can we sort of glean about YouTube through Spotter and the creators that you're working with? It's a great question. I, I think that what we're seeing in the that's uh, back into this engagement perspective. Back before 2011, YouTube was very much driven by viewership, right? So it was driven by the idea that once someone clicked on a video, that counted as a view. And therefore it was popular and therefore it had this feeling that if something had a lot of views, you should watch it. And that led to a lot of what they would call like thumbnail fraud, clickbait type stuff, right? right? (laughs) And that worked for viewership, but it wasn't really great for the satisfaction of the customer. And so what I think is, is really important for everyone to learn or see, or what we're learning is that the changes YouTube has made over time is just a way better experience for customers in terms of if you're being recommended something, it's it's probably, I mean, it's definitely because other people that they've recommended that video to actually enjoyed the experience, right? It was had a lot of watch time, not, not views specifically, but people watched the whole video, right? Or they uh, had a lot of comments, a lot of likes, a lot of favorites, a lot of whatever it is that that said, you know, people's experience with this content is really good. So I think, you know, consumers can feel like they can trust the algorithm more, even though there's some issues with it around, is it recommending things that that people are engaged with, but may not be the perfect thing for you, right? Like a COVID misinformation video, a lot of people might be engaged with, right? But it might not make sense for you. The other thing we're seeing is just trends in human, it's kind of like human behavior, Hmm. Right. Um, it's like what 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 people are gravitating towards gives us this picture of, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. I was going to say, explain to me the sociology of Spotter. <laughs> right. Right. I'll give you an example. Like we had an investment uh, in multiple travel channels right before COVID. <laughs> Sorry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like one travel channel, though, was about going to Vegas. It had done so well for so long. Right. And of course, no one was going to Vegas. Right. So that didn't do well. No. But another travel channel that we had was much more about aspirational travel, like safaris and going to beautiful places and so forth. And that took off. Uh, right. So it gave us a sense of like, hey, people are desiring to be outside of their house in this, you know, at least in a mental state. Right. Um, so you could imagine like, what could you do with that information? Is that you could sell something to those people? You could recommend something to those people, whatever it might be. It just gives you a good sense of like what the consumer's perspective is at a given moment in time. Yeah. 
No, very true. Yeah, it's uh, there was nothing but aspiration and hope in that yeah, time. That, that you need, <laughs> until there wasn't, right? The, and then right. you're like, wait, I just need to get out of the house. Uh, exactly. <laughs> More on Spotter's impact on the creator economy after the break. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I definitely want to go back to this figure of one investing $1 billion into YouTube creators because it's, again, such a, a major <laughs> number that we're talking about. Right. And I feel like you can't inject that much money into creators without it having some kind of effect on the platform overall. So what impact do you see that amount of money that you're pumping into YouTube creators having on YouTube? Oh, I, I think it's extraordinary. People have tried to create funds for creators and there are many problems with it. It's like the funds attract so many creators that only a little bit is given to everyone. For us, it's, it's really, since we're investing in a way that says, hey, we think you can move from point A, right, where you currently are, invest in yourself and grow to point B and point C. What we mostly see is people reinvesting in, in themselves. One of our creators owns a barbecue store, right? It's, it's called Smoking and Grilling with AB. What's good, everybody? And welcome back to my channel, Smoking and Grilling with me, AB. Now, check this out. Listen, if you guys been following me for a minute, you know what I like to say. I like to say, listen, you're simplifying these recipes and taking the mystery out of cooking, right? Right. And with the capital we're giving him, he's not only opening up a new restaurant in Las Vegas and relocating there, but he's building a studio, right? And is going to be shooting way higher quality content more often. Um, not that this current content is not high quality. I just think that the addition of resources is really enhancing the amount of content um, and, and the quality of the content. So YouTube should just see better quality content, create audiences to see better quality content, more of it. And then expansions, like I said, into international markets, right? All of a sudden, you know, Mr. Beast is available in Spanish. I think for the platform, it's just going to lead to much higher quality content and the rise of channels, which I, this over the next few years, you're really going to see this, is the rise of the mid to long tail becoming more and more popular so that people can enjoy the things that they may not be noticing right now, right? So this barbecue channel, I think, will be much bigger, getting much more audience, right? And it's a really awesome channel. Otherwise, it might not have been as noticed. I remember when I interviewed you last year about Spotter, and I asked, because it seemed that there was a lot of big names that you're going after, like the Dude Perfects of YouTube and Mr. Beast and these giant names. And you mentioned that you're going after them specifically to help get the word out about Spotter and that hopefully it would sort of trickle down. And you also mentioned that that is really important to have like a really wide portfolio of content and creators that you're making deals with. And so I'd love from from last year to now, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you are making sure you have that even spread of diverse creators and being as inclusive as possible. We're very deliberate about it. Right. So we are specifically saying, hey, we don't have enough. I mean, you can think about it from an economic perspective, right? We don't have enough economics inside a category like cooking. And that happens to be 
a very diverse group of creators that are unique to their actually probably where they live. And YouTube has shown that breaking down that barrier of having diverse voices actually works, right? Otherwise, only four channels on the platform would work, right? Um, and so I think over $125 million that we have invested are not just in unique types of channels, but specifically in uh, creators of multicultural backgrounds. And the second is the access, right? So we have to create technology that would allow us to talk to more creators the education process, we can automate the education process, like why this is a good deal. And then we can automate the way that you're, we price your library so you can immediately get a price that has no human interaction, right? Then all of a sudden the access goes to a much broader set of, of creators, which will help us as a company, but also help the ecosystem, right, thrive. We have spent, well, a lot of the raise is going towards, right, hiring a lot of people in product engineering and analytics right, that will ultimately launch this platform. Mm. Um, we don't know quite the timing of that, right? But what we're doing is testing out the theory by saying like, hey, let's do a bunch of $10,000 deals and just see that what's the impact of doing those deals, right? Let's do a bunch of you know, $20,000 deals. We've done a number of $6,000 deals. So we're testing the theory by trying to diversify our, our investments, even if it doesn't make financial sense because it takes someone, you know, it's like a traditional uh, entertainment problem, like doing the $100 million film and doing the independent film, oh, yeah. right? Like they're kind of really difficult, both of them, and yet they don't have the same potential from a, a, re a revenue perspective. So we are forcing ourselves to spend the time in learning how to deal with all types of creators. I actually love the analogy of the temple film versus like the indie film, because that is something that we've seen this, this giant shift in entertainment and this focus on investing more in like higher impact things that, you know, will have a higher impact. And so do you think, I know it's early days in this platform that you're building, but do you think that you'll be able to serve someone like Mr. Beast versus who has like however many tens of millions of subscribers. 90 million subscribers, yeah. 90 million subscribers. Do you think you'll be able to service, make deals with those types of creators as well as service the ones who are just in the thousands, if that? It's one of the main reasons why I started the company was that we really struggled in my previous companies at Machinima and Style Hall and, and others that, and we saw in the market like, there's been really hard to service all all creators at the same time, right? And so if you're doing branded integration, right, you could either focus on micro influencers or big influencers, right? But it's hard to do both. That's why everything we are building is like, hey, it should be able to be used by all, right? And if we can build insights that help Mr. Beast, they're clearly also gonna help other creators as well. Now, maybe there's some things like Mr. Beast is saying, hey, I need to know how to spend $3 million and make a high-end production for YouTube, right? He's going to probably get that advice somewhere else. Like, we're not going to be great at that. But the things that we will be great at are, what does it mean to have a high retention rate? What does it mean to have a high click-through rate on a thumbnail and why? Clearly, the technology is going to help us service more creators. But I absolutely believe that there's a combination of tools and capital that can help every single creator on a platform like YouTube and beyond. It's like we, we have to figure out what the, what does that mean on TikTok? It's not it's not ad revenue, right? Right now it's all branded integration, but maybe it's commerce, maybe it's digital goods. I don't I don't quite know yet, but our, our mind is on it. 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, Spotter is right now working solely with YouTube creators, you know, where their where their where their primary channel is on YouTube. So, what would you need to make this work on, say, TikTok? Yeah, interesting. I think it can really work on TikTok soon, um, so long as a few things happen, right? Soon. Yeah. <laughs> How soon? Yeah. Well, it could happen tomorrow. I, I mean, the point is, is, look, why does it work on YouTube? Because there's a really amazing monetization engine that has given creators the the capital necessary to make it their full-time jobs, but not enough capital to scale Right, but it's predictable so other companies can come in and finance it right the great thing that TikTok has done is it's also dependent on a recommendation engine right so they've got the biggest piece which is this recommendation engine what is the monetization engine that allows creators to say i mean the biggest thing for all creators and for me and for everyone is like what's going to happen if i spend an hour of my time on x right like is it five dollars is it $500? Is it brand building? Is it what, whatever? So a lot of people, I mean, Mr. Beast, I think recently, like the last couple of days said 10% of his time is spent on every, on everything else. 90% is YouTube. But I do think in the next few years, the commerce side, right? The idea that we can map purchase intent or purchase behavior to viewership and say, Hey, if you're watching smoking and grilling with AB, you're 40 times more likely to buy Mexican spice brands than if they were watching other content. And you're like, ooh, that alignment and that understanding of data, we're not telling you how to make a product, but what it's telling you is what you should focus on. And maybe that's where TikTok starts to thrive, right? And if that's the case, I think we can be very involved. So what does it say about the creator economy that a company like Spotter even exists in the first place? I mean, the creator economy has been around forever. The reason we exist is that finally, the unfortunately, the capital markets took this long to understand that there's an opportunity to back the creators that can be very successful. It's like kind of early days of tech startups. We're going to see this kind of boom of opportunities for creators uh, to get better faster the way we saw in tech. I think the other side is there are already a lot of companies getting funded right in this space and it's solving these, I think, very specific issues, right? Whether that's near-term cash flow things like carrot funding, you know, giving credit cards to creators, I think is really good, but it solves a very specific need. It's not going to help them take those big risks, right? It's not the appropriate instrument for that. Yeah, and and to that point, I mean, we've seen the creator economy really grow and a lot of financial opportunities have popped up alongside it. I mean, there's credit cards and other banking solutions specifically designed for creators. There's creator funds, of course. So where do you see Spotter fitting into that ecosystem? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think that my perspective on it is there are a lot of people trying to solve many pieces of the creator problem and that the short term solve, right? Uh, like a credit card, like a, like, Hey, let's advance you the next 90 days, you know, of your revenue, those things can scale really quickly to a lot of creators, which I think is great, but ultimately won't be the step change that they need to go to the next level. Right. And so where I think we fit is, 
it, we have to think of ourselves as not a short-term transaction like some of the other. I mean, you could say a credit card is a part, long-term partnership, but it's around a short-term transactional need, right? For us, we're going, hey, we need to provide the capital that's going to take the creator to the next level, but it can't just stop there. It has to be we're along for the ride of the creator journey and being there to support them in multiple ways, right? To make sure that they have the best shot of becoming not only a self-sustaining full-time job, but an actual enterprise that can then take part in the entire creator economy. I'd love to end by asking you, what is your top prediction on where you see the creator economy going? Because as you mentioned, it's been around for quite some time and you were an early part of it, you know, prior to Spotter with your background. So knowing where we are now in this huge boom that it's happening, what's your one prediction on where you see it going? Up. <laughs> if he goes up, there's probably a ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that's very bold of you. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's not just up, but it's bigger. It's the main main prediction is that creators are going to have many opportunities to become not just a single creator, but an overall enterprise. So the new people even call it like small businesses, right? No, these are going to be big businesses, right? I mean, these are this is not like only small, but and the key is that the barriers have been broken down. So I think it's going to look a lot more diverse than history has has allowed for, right? I think it's going to look a lot more interesting and it's going to be driven by the creators. I mean, look at the influence Mr. Beast and Mark Rober had on the ability to take 30 million pounds of garbage out of the ocean. Mm -hmm. It might've been hard, but not that hard, Mm -hmm. right? Like it'd be way harder 10 years ago to have done that. Right. Um, And they've done it multiple times. Right. So it's going to, you're going to see kind of the, it's not just about cash for the creators, but it's about experiences. It's about what they can, you know, share creatively with um, their audiences. And it's about how their audiences get involved with them because their influence is really powerful. I don't know if that's a really specific prediction, but that's how I see the, the, the future. No, I absolutely see it too. Aaron, thank you so much for this. This was wonderful. I really appreciate your time. Oh no, I love it. That's all for this episode of Creative Control. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Are you a creator trying to navigate the creator economy? Are you curious about who controls what? Send any questions or feedback to podcasts at fastcompany.com. That's podcasts with an S at fastcompany.com. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Franz Bowen, Avery Miles, and Blake Odom. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. And editorial oversight is from Deputy Editor Kate Davis and Senior VP of Entertainment Scott Meebus. <laughs>